but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, or in another version it says ministries, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in us all. So let me read you the New King James, just to show you a little bit of a different language that's used. Um, so it says, uh, it says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So it, if you can see it with me there, there is uh, spiritual gifts, diversity of gifts that are given by the same Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. And there are differences of ministries which are given, given by the Lord, Jesus Christ. And then there are different activities that the God, uh, that our God works in us all. And so right there you can see that all three uh, persons of the Trinity, uh, they give us gifts as a church. Amen? So I wanted to just read that to you and show you that, you know, I'm not making this stuff up, that, that God does work in us and, and for us for the church. And also that it's interesting how those three verses split, you know, in a way show the different, um, the different activities or the different gifts that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit give. And all three are working together in the church. They're not like one's over here in Africa, the other one's in, you know, in, in Europe and Australia. They're all working together at the same time because how many know that God can be everywhere at all times? Amen? So I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible with these, uh, with these gifts that I'm talking about today. Last week, we talked about the gifts of the Father. There were seven gifts. Um, wasn't that awesome? Like, I, I learned a lot. And um, I want you to learn too, and I want you to start noticing that people have these gifts around you. And sometimes they don't even know it. And it's okay for you to say, hey, like, I got off stage and I told Meryl, well, she told me first, hey, great message. And I said, um, you're an encourager, because every time, <laughs> every time I preach, you say the same thing. And I don't always feel the same way. Like, I don't always feel like, man, that was a good message. Sometimes I feel like, that was whack. I didn't, you know, because we're so emotional as humans that we need to feel stuff to assure ourselves. But, but you know, there's an encourager right there. So if you need some positivity in your life, uh, go talk to Meryl. Amen, Meryl? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we see the different kind of gifts. You know, um, I, I mentioned Pancho has, has the serving gift. Um, I like to serve as well. You know, I'll set up the extra table, and I've been... You know, I've been scolded by Danny for that because he doesn't want me to do that. But I do it because, well, it's not getting done, so I, someone needs to do it. And I want to do it, so I'll do it for the ushers. But, you know, um, I, we all have different kinds of gifts, and we all can, can use those gifts. And we shouldn't be afraid to use those gifts. Amen? So I want to talk to you about these five gifts of the Son of Jesus Christ. So let's read it once again. We read it before, but let's read Ephesians chapter 4. We had Spanish Bible study on Friday. And uh, the Bible study was great, but the after party was even, <laughs> even greater. Uh, I, I was going to say we, but I didn't, I didn't do anything but just laugh because they started telling jokes. And the jokes were so 
funny. I wish I could translate them, but they don't make sense in English. <laughs> but they're so funny. My mom told jokes, and the, the sister of the Valdez uh, family, like the, the his wife, I think her name Lucia, she was dying. She was like laughing so much. Her face was all red, and I was like, this is hilarious. And Daddy told a joke that I told Cynthia last night, which is really funny. I think I could probably translate that. I will translate that one. I'm going to tell you guys this joke is hilarious. So I guess this man was walking by a, like a psychiatric place, you know, where they, they have all the politically correct way, but mental Ill, illness people, okay? The crazies, guys. Have <laughs> all the, the crazy folk. And, and, and this guy used to go to work on his way to, to work. He would pass by this, this psychiatric home. And every time he would pass by in the morning and in the afternoon, he would hear, eight, 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 eight. And he'd walk and like, why are they, why are they saying eight? So, you know, week after week and then after work, he would walk by again and he'd eight, eight. And he was like, why do they keep yelling eight? Like it's bugging me. So month, uh, like a month went by, another month went by, and he just kept, I'm gonna go ask, I'm just gonna go ask, because I'm just tired of hearing this, this is weird. So he went up to ask the, the guard, you know, the, the people that work there, hey, listen, every time I walk by, or, or um, on my way to work, or, or, or on my way back home, I hear the same thing, they keep yelling, AIDS, 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 what is that about? And they're like, we don't know, we have no idea. They've been doing that for the longest, we have no idea what they're talking about. He's like, man, this is so weird, nobody has an answer. These guys are all in unison yelling, hey, I gotta figure this out. So one day, as he was, as he was walking uh, to, to work, he passed by, and they were like, eight, eight, eight. He's like, no, this is it, I gotta figure this out. So he's, he was looking at the wall, because he just heard the noise, he couldn't see them. And uh, he saw that there was like a little hole in the wall. He's like, I'm gonna look in there and see what's going on. And they're like, eight, eight, eight. So he puts his eye on there, he wasn't wearing glasses. He puts his eye, he's like, puts his eyes like, I'm gonna figure this out. And as soon as he put his eye on the hole, it poked him. <laughs> and they were like, nine, nine. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. When you haven't seen amen. Nine. <laughs> when you haven't seen nine. Just <laughs> All right, let's read it. It's up there, good. And he himself gave some to be apostles, talking about Jesus, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Hallelujah. That we should no longer be children tossed into and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So the whole point of these gifts 
are for the church. Okay? Now that's the, a, a lot of the difference between last week and this week. Last week, those gifts for everyone, right? These gifts are particular for the church itself, for the growing and the equipping of the church. So it's very important that we make that distinction because the church, some, you know, there's believers out there now, it's called the emergent church. They say, no, no, no more church. We're all going to get together at a house, which is kind of like church anyway. And we're not going to have leadership. We're not going to do any of that because that's like bad. And it has gotten really bad in the church. But it doesn't mean that it's not truth. Amen. Just because some people have abused it and have misrepresented it doesn't mean that it's not the truth of the Bible. Amen. So we still got to stick to what the word says. And it says that it's for the building up of the church. It's for edifying the church building. Um, if you don't know, we are all a church building. We, we, we are all uh, we're all standing to, to say on on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of this gospel. And so we stand on him and we are like a building on him. Amen. Amen. All right. So so we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. So there's five gifts. And the key verse is that Christ gives those gifts. Chapter uh, Verse 12, you can read it. He says, I give these gifts to the church for their edifying, for their lifting up, for their equipping. And, you know, sometimes they're just, how do I say nice? They're just not, uh, they're not nice or kind or loving. And we're going to see that, that these gifts need all of those things. Because if we just take the example of Jesus, for example, Jesus was, yes, he was firm and direct. And he said the truth when he needed to say truth. But when it came to his sheep, when it came to people that were following him, man, he was, he was always equipping them. He was always showing them. He was always... You know, making them, you know, learn something new and, and discipling them. And, you know, real discipleship is not just a Bible study. It's, it's also showing and leading people to, to do the things that God has called them to do. Amen? So the sum gifts and callings. And we said that, you know, two weeks ago, we said that last week. The sum gifts in ministries. He gives the church in callings and ministries or anointings, however you want to say it. But that's what Christ does. He, he gives the church these gifts in the form of people to lead and build up the church. So yes, there's an honor in, in, in these people that are called to be pillars of the church. There's an honor to that. But there also has to be an honor from the, the leaders and from the pillars of the church to, to honor the, the children of God also. Amen. Amen. So, for example, uh, these are three pillars here on this side that's holding up, uh, you know, they're not just for show. Literally, they're holding up the, the wall here. And, and back in, in, in the old times, uh, these pillars were used with uh, more, con you know, more consistently in the building. So they would make the pillar and then they would build everything on top or around it or whatever they would do. But the, the point is this, when you look at the ruins now in, in the Greece and Greece and in Rome and, and places like that, when you look at the at the ruins, what's the what's the things that's still standing the most? The pillars, right? So but pillars without walls is just ruins. And walls without pillars well, doesn't stand. 
So you need both. And that's how good God is. That he says, yes, these men or women are the pillars of my church, but it's to build up the church. Because if they build it down, it's like a ruin. So they need to equip the church and teach the church. So Jesus offers these five gifts to the church in the form of ministries or ministers to help the church. These gifts in particular are to help the body grow strong. It says, but the verses we just read is to help them grow up to be just like Christ. Imagine that. Not to be like the man who preaches or the, the woman who leads, but to be like Jesus Christ to so the fullness of who Jesus is. And that's my priority. That's my, that's my passion, my mission. And, and, you know, we were at Spanish Bible study, and I was reminded because um, Josh was there, and he asked me, hey, you know, how did you come up with this grace and love thing? It's very powerful. And I thought, it is very powerful, isn't it? <laughs> and the, the point is that I didn't come up with it, but God put it in me. He put this vision in me. It's not mine, but his. You know what I'm saying? And this vision becomes yours. And we should preach this gospel of truth everywhere. I see uh, so many people preaching differently now. Uh, you, you look on television now, they're preaching grace, and I love it. And I get excited. It might be stuff I've already heard and I've already been through, but it excites me because God is doing something in his church. He is doing something in his church. He wants his gospel to be preached. He wants the truth to be preached. No more religion, no more lies, no more facades, no more routines, no more traditions, but freedom in Christ. And that's what these five pillars are for the church so that the church may grow in freedom to be more like Jesus. But churches now, you go to church and they tell you that you're more of a sinner instead of teaching you to be more like Christ. You can look at the cup half empty or you can look at it half full. And, and, and with the gospel, it's all the way full. And with Jesus Christ, it's all the way full. So we got to teach people their identity. That's why, we, that's why we preach identity so much. That's why we preach about, about the gospel and the truth and all oh, about Jesus so much. Oh, and about all you guys talk about is love. And, and love, love is God, guys. Uh, and he is love. And we have to talk about these things because this is what makes people free. Amen. So these are the five gifts. These gifts are working together in unison. Not one is greater than the other. We've got to know that. It's important to know that there are different, perhaps, functions. And there might be some here in these gifts that mentor the other gifts. But none is greater than the other. They still work in unison. So I want to talk first about the evangelist. I just felt like going in this order that I'm going to go. The evangelist is the person, you know, that's reaching out to the ones that are lost. This ministry is the central, I believe, part of the body. They are right in the middle, you know, reminding and, and, and revealing that Jesus Christ is alive, that he saves, that he heals, and that he restores. That's what the evangelist is doing out in the streets, out wherever they put him. He is going out and making sure that people are reached with the true gospel. That yes, there is a hell, but Jesus came to die for your sins so that you wouldn't have to go to hell any longer. And through grace and not through works, 
Salvation can come to you for free. You don't have to earn it. You have to just put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ, and he shall save you. Confess with your mouth. Believe with your heart today. I'm evangelizing you right now. Believe with your heart today and give your life to the mighty name of Jesus Christ and he will save you. Amen. And then is anyone sick here today? God wants to heal you. That's an evangelist. Not just a message, but also the demonstration. But evangelist today, yeah. If you don't believe me, I want to just, let me, let me take you to Acts 21. Acts 21, 8. You there? All right. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered, look at this, the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. If you've ever read the book of Acts and you've read about Philip, this man is insanely crazy anointed. He is an evangelist. So we should look at him as an example of an evangelist. Amen? All right, let's read in chapter 20. Oh, I think it's 20, uh, no, chapter 8 of the same book, Acts chapter 8. Philip the evangelist. This man traveled from one place to the next, but he didn't walk, run, or fly. He just appeared somewhere. This is the evangelist of Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Are you there? Amen? Amen. All right, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. We're going to read from verse 5 to 13. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was a great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon who was previously practiced, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the great power of God. That's what they called Simon until they saw Philip. And they heeded him because they, he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. That's an evangelist. If that's your passion, if, if you see yourself as an evangelist or, or, or you know someone, this is what they should strive to be, to, to, to 
and the name of Jesus Christ and demonstrates it. So that even the psychics and the sorcerers and the witchcraft and the Satanists would be converted to the name of Jesus Christ because the evangelist called by God has entered into the atmosphere of that city. That's the evangelist there. Anything else is not. But the church and the people get confused. They are calling themselves evangelists when they're probably really a teacher. Or they're a pastor or something else. But they say, I'm a pastor when they're probably an evangelist. Well, that's why it's important that we go with what the Word says. Amen? Amen? So that's the evangelist and the sorcerer. He becomes Christian. And then the, the apostles come with Philip and they back Philip up in that town. And then Simon the sorcerer, he starts seeing even more miracles when the, when the apostles show up. And then Simon's like, man, I really want this, Peter. Here's an offering. Here's some, some money so that you can give me your power. <laughs> and Peter's like, no, no, no. You don't buy this. This is not for sale. So if you ever uh, watch some television and they say, buy this anointing oil for just $10.99 and be healed from all infirmities, please turn it off or watch American Idol or something. Because <laughs> it's not true. It's not paid for. It is free. Free. Amen? All right. So an evangelist has a message in the miracles. Plain and simple. Has to have a message in the miracles. So if you want to be an evangelist, go out there, give the word, and then, and then say, hey, you want to come to Christ? Fine. He wants to heal you too. Is there anything wrong with you? Is, is, are you sick? Does your back hurt? God wants to heal you right now. And just go for it. Start small, and we'll see God be faithful in the big. So how does an evangelist equip the church? Simple. By motivating us to go do the work that God has called him to do. That's how he equips the church. Because sometimes you think evangelist is just for the outside. But the Bible, just we just read in Ephesians, that it's for the equipping and the building up of the church. So the evangelist comes into the church and lights a fire in, in that church and says, we got to go out. And a matter of fact, we're going to go out tomorrow. So uh, let's get together here and we're going to go out together. And I'm going to show you how to do it. Amen? That's for the equipping of the church. All right, let's talk about pastors. These guys are crazy. Just kidding. The pastor's passion is to heal, to guide, to restore, and disciple the church. This ministry reminds us of something very important. The heart of Jesus Christ, who calls himself a shepherd. All the time, calls himself a shepherd. Uh, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice, and they follow, he says. Amen? So let's go to Ezekiel 34. At one time, um, when I used to be a little bit more angry, I preached about this and I got in trouble. Ezekiel 34 4 Amen. One person. Alright, let's read um, you know what? Let, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bella. Let's read from verse 1. So 34 1 34 1 and then we're going to read until 4. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
prophesied and saying to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slather the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back that which was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. I didn't write the Bible. This can be difficult because, you know, I understand sometimes why leaders, uh, specifically pastors, get uh, frustrated, you know? I understand why. Because sometimes sheep, they bite back sometimes. So I understand why they would get frustrated. But I think when we have our awareness on Jesus and his presence as pastors, then we are following him and doing what he has called us to do. And, and, and that's to love people. The simple capacity, the simple uh, detail of a pastor is that he serves and loves people. That's it. It doesn't get a lot difficult. Now there's pastors, here, check this out. There's pastors that preach and teach. And there's pastors that just do the healing and the loving. We always think pastor should preach. And that's not necessarily true. There's pastors that teach and preach, and there's pastors that do counseling for marriages, for example. Or they counsel singles or youth. But they're pastors because they're loving on people. And at the same time, at that moment, they're probably teaching as well. But they don't necessarily have to be on the pulpit or on stage. So some pastors can become angry, like I said, um, and cynical also like sarcastic and mean because you know of what comes with, with that that position. But the pastor's job is to bring the sheep together, you know, not let one go off, but bring them together and strengthen them. Amen? Amen. They usually start with soft hearts. They are servants, they are encouragers, empowering, and they naturally want to see others flourish and be successful. That's just natural for them. They want to see you grow. They want to, like Jesus was a perfect example. Jesus wanted to see his disciples do better than him. That's how it should be. The ultimate pastor, Jesus, he left the 99 for the one, and he told his disciples, you, including us here today, will do greater works than me. And I mean, that was God in the flesh. And he said that, I want you to do more. So let's go back to that same 34.4 in Ezekiel. If a pastor here got his anger at the, at the shepherds and the pastors of Israel in this time, if we apply this to the church today, I think we can see some pastors that are doing that very thing today. But if we were to read this in opposite world, then it would read like this. You have strengthened the weak. You have healed those who are sick. You have bound up the broken. You brought back that which was driven away. You went after the lost, but with love and grace, you have ruled them. 
That's how it would read in in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. That's how it should be. So that's the job of the pastor is to just bring this. The evangelist brings the sheep. The evangelist got Jesus in them, and sometimes the evangelist is like, "Yeah, there's some stuff is healed, but I think there's a little more. Here you go, like handle." And then the pastor's like, "All right, I got the rest. I'll bound the sheep. I'll, I'll, I'll heal it. I'll, I'll put ointment on it." Just like the good Samaritan did with that man that was on the floor that Jesus told the parable. He picked him up, put him on, on the donkey, took him to, to a motel and, and, and healed him, his wounds. He covered him up. He put ointment on him. He gave money to the person who said, he's probably going to be out for a couple days. Just let him lay here. And then I got his food and I got his stay and I got everything for him. I'll be back in a couple days. He came back in a couple days. This guy was strong and he was ready to go. That, that's the heart of the pastor. Amen? Alright. Teacher. Teacher, teacher. Um, I don't want to go into it again because last week we did teacher. But I, I just wanted to add this to it. You know, um, we said that a teacher has a lot of questions. Um, but he also has or wants to have a lot of answers to, to, to the things of the word. For example, I'll read these three quotes. Every time they wanted to ask Jesus a question, not every time, but for the most part, they would call him either teacher or rabbi. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? When they asked him this question, they were trying to corner him. Because if you say there's one commandment that's greater than the other, then that's blasphemy. So they were trying to corner Jesus and say, hey, I want you to say something bad so that we can say that you're not a good teacher. Okay? But him being the teacher of teachers, he answered, all of them are summed up in the, the two. Love God with all your heart and love others. All of them are summed up in those two. And they were like shocked. They were like, oh my God, he answered as he got out of the corner. Teacher, they told him, this is the disciples, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So he's sleep on a boat. He's sleeping on a boat. And the storm is going crazy. And they go to him, Lord, like, get up, like, help. And he's like, um, can you guys just handle it? You guys, we just fed 5,000 million people across the ocean here. And, and I'm asleep. And then he says, and then they tell him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? <laughs> Of course he cares. So he gets up and, and he tells the storm, peace be with you. Amen? So he answered them, you know, and he showed them. They asked him, the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? What an opportunity for a teacher to teach the gospel. And to give these people that have questions all the answers they're looking for. Now don't think that you have to have head knowledge to be a teacher. The Bible says that if you open your mouth, the Spirit will fill it with words. So you can teach by the anointing that you have as a teacher. All of these gifts now, I believe, here, since we're all like family here, and nobody new came today, I wish I could go down here, but all of you here have a ministry and a calling and gifts. But a lot of you here are not using that. My passion for you is that you would 
use what God has given you. In here and out there, both. But these particular five ministries are for the equipping of the church. That's my passion for you. That you not get lost in this life of working and schooling and routine and tradition. Don't get lost in that world. God has called you for greater things, guys. He's called you to change and impact this world. But your priorities need to change. I did a lot this morning, and I still got here. Most of you came late. There was two of us here. I won't, by the way, I got a gym membership, praise the Lord. <laughs> Finally, wife is working now, so it helps. Went to the gym in the morning, at 8 in the morning. Went there for a couple hours. Went to, back home, went to have breakfast. Went to pick up our nephew who's in the kids' room right now. Spent a little time there, went back home, did a couple other things. Uh, went to the store after that because I needed some things for the, the kids. I needed some allergy medicine. And then we came here all the time at one. Hello? And, you know, we came and we worshiped God, and here we are. We have to kind of like manage our time and have priorities, and, you know? That's what God has called us to do. I'm telling you that lovingly. All right, as a pastor. Let's talk about profit. All these gifts are ministries, like I said. And I want to talk to you about how prophets are weird. Normally, they're all weird in the, in the Bible. Today, no. They're not weird today. But they're weirdos. One of the weirdest men to ever live was John the Baptist. And he was a prophet. And he's considered to be the last prophet of the Old Testament. Okay? So, John the Baptist is a child, if you didn't know this, of very old parents. His parents were really old when they had him. Zacharias and Elizabeth. Elizabeth happens to be the cousin or something of Mary. The Bible says that when Mary visited Elizabeth and Mary was pregnant, Elizabeth was pregnant. And that the baby inside of Elizabeth leaped with joy. That means something happened in the womb to John the Baptist where he felt the Spirit of God as a baby. That's powerful. When Jesus steps in the atmosphere, I mean, things change from a baby to definitely an adult. So, Zacharias and Elizabeth didn't think they could have babies. Now, Zacharias was a, was a high priest. And the high priest had privileges, and there was more than one. And so Zacharias turned to, to do the incense in, in the Holy of Holies. So they would do the incense and it would cover the, you know, the smoke would cover the room. And then the high priest would come in with the blood and, and he would do the blood. So it was his turn and that would happen, I read historically, that that would happen probably like once in a lifetime. So it was his turn and he was like, oh, I'm going to get in there. And, I'm gonna, and then he's in there and Gabriel, the angel, visits him nowhere and says you're going to have a child your your wife is going to get pregnant he sort of chuckled and said yeah right and so the lord says well i'm going to make you a mute so that you do not speak until your child until your child is born amen so that's how john the baptist was conceived 
So he came into into uh, you know into the world, and according to you know history, something happened to Zacharias where where John the Baptist, as a young uh, boy, had to go into the wilderness. And that's where he, he would feed on the, on the locusts and, and on the honey. And he put camels, you know, uh, fur on him. And, and he, he looked like a caveman. But, but, you know, he was talking crazy. And he was out there. And he would come out once in a while out of the cave and be like, Repent! Brutal vipers! Hypocrites! For the kingdom of God is near! Repent! He would go back inside his cave. <laughs> oh, serious. And then he, he came out, and he would come out, and, and he would do it again, and he would go back in, and, he, and one time he said, Repent! For the kingdom of God is near. Come and be baptized in water. This is weird. Because nobody had done that before. To prepare for the kingdom. And this is before Jesus. So this is a prophetic message that, that John the Baptist is sending. Not only that, he knows that he is the voice in the wilderness preparing the way for Jesus Christ. So he knows that he has to baptize Jesus. So he's baptizing everyone trying to figure out when is Jesus coming. Because what I'm doing here is I'm preparing everyone for Jesus because he's going to die and resurrect. So I need to uh, do this in the water, so that, you know, submerge them and bring them out. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks near where he is at. And his prophecy changes. It goes from repent for the kingdom of God is near to there goes the Lamb of God. There goes the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of this world. His prophetic message changes. But he was a prophet. He saw things that people weren't seeing. He had the vision to see the future. That something was coming. That someone was coming. And his name was Jesus. Yeah. It is Jesus. So the prophecy was repent the kingdom of God is near. And the fulfillment, the fulfillment was behold the Lamb of God. So, then he prophesied, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of this world. Jesus said this about John the Baptist. Assuredly, I say to you, now imagine Jesus speaking to his disciples. Some people put John the Baptist as a bad guy because he asked Jesus if, if he told his disciples, go ask Jesus if he's the one. So they, make, they put him in, but oh, that's why they cut his head off. But what was the response of Jesus? Jesus didn't say, hey, just for that, they're going to cut his head off. You know? So go tell him that. No, he said, go tell John about all the miracles, the signs and the wonders, that people are being healed, that they're being saved. Go tell him that. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus said this about John the Baptist. For those that of us that have thought bad about John the Baptist. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, 
there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But listen to what he said in the first part about John the Baptist. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus knew the importance of a prophet. The Israelites had been killing prophets left and right. Every time God would send a prophet, you're dead. Because it was a direct message from God. And sometimes the direct message from God is not pretty, but it's truth and it's real. And those of us that are following him know his word. We know when someone speaks his word, we know immediately if it's from God. Because we have the Holy Spirit. But back then, they didn't have that opportunity of discernment to say, well, that didn't sound right. And then today in our, in our world and in, in, our, in our kingdom here full of grace, it's a safe place. So somebody can give a prophecy and we might think, oh, you know, I don't know about that. You know, yeah, like, okay, that was nice, but it wasn't true. And we can give that person grace and forgiveness because they might just be learning and practicing. It's better to do that because a false prophet is someone that blatantly knows that he is deceiving and tricking people. Not someone that, that, that emotionally said something thinking it was a prophecy and it wasn't. So we have to make that distinction. But John the Baptist was a prophet and a prophet has, has vision. He's a visionary and that's why the, the church needs him. The church needs her. They need, we need prophets because they tell us of things that are about to come. They warn us. You know, God uses the gift of prophecy in, in, in the believers because it's to warn them. A lot of, a lot of people say, we're, you know, we're not supposed to know when Jesus is going to come. Like, not even the, the son knows. But the Bible also says that, that, that we that are believers will be ready. The thief in the night is for those unbelievers that are not ready. But the thief in the night is not for the believers that are seeking God. So the prophet for the church gives vision, warnings, prepares the church for future events. They are a, di a direct voice and a message from God according to the word. They speak words of destiny into people. They bring them out from where they are, maybe in darkness and depression. They speak with word and that word becomes fulfilled by God. It all the prophet that, that becomes in tune, they had a school of prophets in the Old Testament. The prophet that becomes in tune with the voice of God, it's almost like when they speak, it's God. And when God speaks, it's them. And it's, it's like so in tune that, that these people were going to attack, uh, I believe it was Elijah. And Elijah said, you know, let fire away from heaven to burn these people. I know that's a little extreme. Okay, let's not do that. It's a little extreme. But he said it. And God fulfilled it. And there was these Elisha. There was these. Uh, Elisha was like a like, kind of like an ugly, bald man, uh, fat. And there was these men, these kids, making fun of him. And they were making fun of him. And and it says that Elisha sent a bear after them to kill them. I don't think they died. I don't remember. They might have. I know it's a little bit extreme, but what I'm seeing is when the prophet is in tune with the voice of God, it's almost like God is speaking and that person is speaking. Does that make sense? 
And that's why we need the prophet in the church. But the prophets today, I want to clarify this, are not going to be sending fire and bearers to you, but they're, they're prophets of the new covenant. And the new covenant is to encourage, exhort, the Bible says, is to edify and build up the church. And prophecy has to come through the filter of the new covenant. It can't be a prophecy filtered through a mixed doctrine or, or an Old Testament doctrine, which is worse. Nobody's really Old Testament or covenant, I should say. And most people are mixed. It can't be mixed because then the, the word of God is going to be through that filter because we have the ability to, to, to give prophecy the way that we think. Isn't that strange? But the Bible says that, that the, the Holy Spirit is subject to us. That we give the Holy Spirit freedom to work through us. We can say, no, I'm not ready. I've done it. Oh, well, that's a little much. I don't know. Imagine, like, God's like, okay, take your shoes off. Run around this place and just worship God. And that's God speaking to you. You're like, no, I'm not going to do that. It's a little weird. <laughs> but what if you would have done it and, and you know, there have been new people here they were healed or even people that come all the time and because you did that what I'm trying to say is that 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 prophets in the new in the new covenant their prophecies have to be filtered through that new covenant through the redemption of Jesus Christ it's like yesterday we went to a Rudy's church and I met Chris his name's Christian he's about 50 something years old and he just he said he said, I, I just got off drugs about 40-some days ago. I used to be on methadone and $60 worth of uh, heroin every day. This man is about 50, but he, he kind of looks like he's more like 65 or 70. And he's, the, he's security now for, for Rudy, uh, for the church. It's a neighborhood where they should have security. Um, but Chris, he was telling me his testimony. I just met him there, and he was, you know, just, just talking to me. He said that normally when someone gets off those kind of drugs, they get sick. They have to be hospitalized immediately because they start throwing up. They, they can't, you know, take food in. They can't sleep. They're just sweating. Uh, they can have a heart attack. They can have a stroke, which he did before, the first time he got off drugs. This time, he came in to what Pastor Rudy calls the vision house, he came in and, and nothing happened to him. He quit drugs cold turkey, they prayed for him and nothing happened to him. He is completely healed, completely delivered, completely set free, he is smiling. They showed me a picture of when he showed up to the house and he looked like a dead person. Like someone digged him out of the grave and said, hey, you wanna go to the vision house? And now he looks a lot better. And he did not get sick. And so I told him, I said, I started giving him prophetic word because I just felt it right there in the, in the spirit. And I said, you know, you told me that you've been, that, that you've been uh, uh, free from drugs for 42 days, he said. And I said, there's going to come a time where you're going to stop counting. You're going to stop counting because the days are not going to matter of the ones that you have been free from drugs. But the days that matter are the ones that are ahead for you. So look forward to the freedom and the greatness that God has called you to. Man, I started crying and all that stuff. I gave him a hug and he like fell in love with me. He was following me all around. You need anything, Pastor? Yeah, I'm just like, no. 
Go do your thing. You know? Chris, pray for him. And that's what a, a prophet looks like in the, in the new covenant. John the Baptist, he had a different message. So a lot of prophets today say, no, no, like, you know, like John the Baptist, brutal vipers, you hypocrites, you sinners, you morons and idiots, you gotta give your life to, no, 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 no. Not like that anymore, amen? amen? So if you're a prophet, stop acting like you're not and just be one already. Because <laughs> God is calling you and you keep ignoring the voice. If you're an evangelist, the same. If you're a teacher, even if you're a pastor, stop it. All right, let's talk about apostles because this is also controversial. But it's the time. All right, we're good. Um, apostles. There were 12 original apostles. Well, really 11. Let <laughs> <laughs> me get some water on that. <laughs> so it was 11 apostles. And a lot of people wonder, why did Jesus even call Judas? He had a calling. But he didn't all the way give in to the message. So Judas, you know, he hangs himself, or he at least attempts to, and he dies. And then the 11 say, well, we need a 12, because Jesus said he put 12, so we're going to do 12. So. so this is how they called Matthias. That was his name, Matthias. M-A-T-T-H-I-S-I-A-S. But Matthias is, Matthias is called like this. So the apostles' calling goes like this for Matthias. This is interesting. All the 11 get together, Peter says, okay, look, we need a 12, guys. So what we're going to do is we're going to do, you know, we're going to throw like a lottery, and, and whoever gets the most points is, is going to get picked as an apostle. And they pick Matthias that way. So that's how apostles are called. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the point is that there is more than 11. There's more than 12. Oh, so then that makes 12. And they think, okay, 12, perfect. Jesus is gone. Judas is gone. Jesus is in heaven. Uh, and so we now have the, the 11, but we need the 12, like Jesus said. So they, they bring in the 12. And God's like, okay, cool, that's 12, that's what I call it. And then Paul comes out of nowhere. Paul is killing Christians left and right, and Jesus appears to him and says, hey, why are you pursuing me? Like, why are you persecuting me? And, and he gives his life to Jesus Christ, he has a revelation, and Jesus Christ calls Paul to the ministry as an apostle. So now there's 13. Uh-oh. There's more than the 12 that Jesus, 11, 12, 13 now. <laughs> But when the apostles, oh, here, let's go to Acts 14. Okay, that's Leviticus, Mario. Acts 14. Are we learning? Amen. All right. Acts 14, 4. Fourteen, fourteen. Sorry, just you know, scroll down. Okay, you there? 
14, 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out. That's plural, right? Barnabas and Paul. Maybe you missed that. Another apostle? Who called this guy? Because the 11 and Jesus and then the, the lottery for, for Matthias and then Jesus called Paul and then now there's Barnabas. This is weird. I thought there was only the original 12 apostles. Maybe 11. But here it says in the Bible, in Acts, which is in the Bible, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this. Okay, so now we're at 14, guys. Very good. Let's go to Galatians 1, chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Are you there? Please say amen. I know it's very teachy, but we're learning a lot. So you can tell people the truth. <laughs> Alright, chapter 1, verse 19. Are you there? Verse 19. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Fifteen? <laughs> what the heck? That was the twelve and, and that was it. And that's what Jesus called. But then there was eleven and then they did some funny stuff to get the twelve. And then 13, Paul, Barnabas, 14, and now James is called an apostle. 15. 15, right? Yeah, 15. Now, there's James that followed Jesus when Jesus called them. One is called Jesus the Elder. He was the son of Zebedee. And Jesus the, the lesser son of even weirder name. None of them were Jesus' little brother. Okay? This is... After Christ has ascended, now the little brother of Jesus is, is an apostle. Amen? Alright. So, what am I trying to say here? God is calling people for this ministry, for this gifting, this anointing. He calls them. But there are some particular things that, that they do. One of the things is that they do, you know, they're, they're focused a lot on miracle signs and wonder, and their other focus is on making sure that the doctrine, the teaching of Jesus Christ is set on the church. They are the mentor of mentors. They're the pastor of pastors and apostles. Now, I want to read to you what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 about himself as an apostle. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, let me see. Verse 11. We're almost done. This is the last, uh, last gift. Chapter 12, verse 11. I have become a fool in boasting. This is Paul speaking. You have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance. 
and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is for what is in it in which you were inferior to the other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me for this wrong. Here, let me read it in some clearer language. And I'll see. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. You have made me act like a fool. You ought to be writing commendations for me or recommendations for me. For I am not at all inferior to these super apostles. My temper like quotes. Even though I am nothing at all, when I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I am an apostle. For I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. The only thing I failed to do, which I do in other churches, was to, was to become a financial burden to you. Please forgive me for this wrong. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Jesus, help me. Paul is funny. He says, look, I, you, now you, you have forced me. Basically, they were questioning whether he was an apostle or not. Like Peter, Paul, and John. I mean, Peter, John, and the others. He's like, you've made me act like a fool. You actually should be writing good things about me. For I am not at all less than or inferior than these super apostles, like Peter that walked with Jesus. As a matter of fact, Paul confronted Peter once. And he said, hey, Peter, you're a hypocrite. He said, he said Peter, you're a hypocrite. When you hang out with the Gentiles, you want to eat you know, tacos and do, you know, drink a couple beers here and there. And when the super Jewish Christians come, you're all holy. All of a sudden, kosher. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, and Paul says, "You're a hypocrite. You are. Look, you're going to live in the freedom of Christ, or you're going to live in the law. What are you going to do?" So right here, Paul says, "Look, I'm not inferior to the super apostles. I was with you. I gave you proof that I'm an apostle. Well, how did he get proof? He did signs, wonders, and miracles among them." And the only thing he didn't do was ask him for money, which he should have. Sorry that I didn't ask him for money, he says. <laughs> the problem today is that people are asking for money when they're not apostles, pastors, or anything. Because you go to the churches and they have great word and great teaching, but nothing to show. And, and the Bible says that these signs shall follow wonders and miracles. And that's one of the things about apostles is that they have this sort of intensity for the presence of God and to make sure that they host and, and they steward the presence of God is very important, the presence of God. But it's also important to teach, like all prophets teach, pastors teach, apostles teach, and teachers teach. But for them, they have this, this other side where it's like, no, we're going to let... Right now, the Holy Spirit is working. If I preach, I'll preach. If not, the Holy Spirit is working miracles right now. Signs and wonders. He said he patiently, patiently did miracles, signs, and wonders. And we need these men of God in the church. 
So there's 9, 12, 11, there's, there was 13, 14, 15. Who knows what else? And some people don't want to like use their common sense. Well, if there was 15, maybe there could have been 16. Is that possible? No, but it's not in the word, though. <laughs> okay, that's kind of silly because, okay, whatever. But you guys can understand what I mean, right? Hebrews 3.1. I know it's not a Bible. I'm sorry, guys. Hebrews 3.1. Actually, I'm not sorry, guys. I'm reading New King James because that's NLT changes it. <clears throat> So Hebrews, do you want to be there? Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. But also an apostle. Is. Apostle means, this is the literal definition, translation. In Greek it says apostolos. That's what the Greek word is. But it means sent by God. That's what it means. Sent by God. Jesus sent the twelve, right? Or the eleven to the entire world to preach. Jesus had a lot of disciples, but he had twelve apostles. But then they were eleven and they added the twelve, the thirteenth, someone added the fourteenth. And then Jesus' little brother, the 15th. And if we count Jesus as 16, I guess. So, proof that there's apostles, proof that someone is, signs, wonders, and miracles. They're obviously called by God, guys. And they are fathers to many, like Paulus, Titus, Timothy. And he would instruct them and love them and bless them, mentor them and share with them what God had been doing in his life. And Paul was with Barnabas, and I'm sure Paul had something to do with Barnabas being an apostle. This next section is called, and I'll end with this, what apostles? That's what it's called, question mark, what apostles? They are not the final authority of the word of God. Jesus is. Okay? That's the Catholic Church, guys. It's not the Catholic Church, I'm sorry. Oh, that, that, they, that's the apostle to them, the Pope. And he's the final saint. That's not here, no. They are not covering to others. Jesus is. Or if you're married, your husband is wife. And I'm not covering you because I cover my wife. The head of the church is Jesus. They are not the closest to heaven. They are not the mediator, Jesus is. And guess what, guys? They can also be wrong. Just like when Paul confronted Peter. These gifts are to serve and equip the people. Come up here. These gifts are to serve and equip the people. All of these gifts working in unison. The church needs this. We need this. Grace and love, we need this, okay? We really do. 
We need prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, and apostles in the church of Jesus Christ. Remember what I said, the heart of Jesus is to raise these pillars strong in the body so that the building can grow, the building can be strong, it can grow, not, not in number necessarily, but to grow in Him.